At the intersection of true crime and real estate, you'll find Crime Estate. I'm Heather. And my name is Elena. As real estate agents and true crime junkies, we view crimes through a different lens. So walk through the door of some of the most notorious true crimes with us and discover how sometimes the scene of the crime has its own story to tell. Hey guys, we're back with another Crime Estate podcast. I'm Heather here with my fabulous real estate agent friend, Elena, and our amazing producer, Melanie. Well, our episode today is one that our producer, Melanie, it's been on her list since we started this podcast almost a year ago. And honestly, I don't really know why we've waited until now to cover it because it's a good one. Yeah. And you know, this is probably a good time to remind our listeners that we would love your crime estate ideas. We keep a running list of stories we want to cover, but some of our favorite podcasts so far have been ones that were recommended to us by people who follow the show. Let's go ahead and dig in today's episode, shall we? Yeah. Melly's been wanting to do this one forever. So, yeah. Okay. So, our story today takes us to sunny California, where the potential of fortune and fame often lures aspiring actresses and actors to Hollywood. Now, I'm not a quote unquote music person, so I really didn't know a lot about Phil Spector until I started researching this story. But like many highly successful and creative people, he struggled with mental health issues. He had a reputation for being eccentric, difficult to work with, and a perfectionist. But his reputation for being a genius in the music industry outweighed the negative. So this is probably a good time to tell you a little bit about Phil's background because you just don't turn into a musical genius overnight. Now, from all accounts, Phil comes from a working-class family. His dad was an iron worker who also had mental health issues. And, you know, the mental health system has really changed so much in the last 50 years. Looking back, his dad probably would have been diagnosed as bipolar. And when Phil was nine years old, his dad committed suicide. And then five years later, in search for better work as a seamstress, his mother moved the family to L.A. By all accounts, Phil's mother and sister were overbearing forces in his life who both smothered him and bullied him. Seems like like a extra love and an extra hate kind of relationship, right? Yeah. And Phil's high school friends described him as smart, charismatic, funny, and sharp, but also say he would just lie for no reason. He made up multiple stories about his father had committed suicide, among other things. Now get this, his first big hit came when he was still in high school. Can you believe that? It's amazing. I mean, our boys are like, you know, uh, aspiring musicians and actors, and I, I can't even imagine them doing anything that would make the charts at this point. God love them. I mean, they're very talented, but... Tell us what you really think about our kids. I mean, I think they're very talented, <laughs> but not making the charts. Yeah, talented. no, totally. Um, okay, so Phil's girlfriend at the time had a friend, Annette Kleinbard, who Phil thought had a beautiful voice. He wrote a song for her, and she joined his pop group, The Teddy Bears. Mm -hmm. The song he wrote for her, To Know Him Is To Love Him, became a global hit, staying on the Billboard Top 100 for 23 weeks while he was in high school. That's amazing. Isn't that crazy? But Phil Spector really became known for his ability to produce music, not necessarily for his ability to perform. And in his first big hit, he told Annette to sing the song like she was singing it to her boyfriend. When Annette commented that she didn't have a boyfriend, he told her to sing it to her dad. 
Interestingly enough, Phil's father's headstone reads, to know him was to love him. Mm. So now before Phil turned 21, he was already incredibly famous in the industry and he took his mother to court to gain access to his earnings, which she still controlled. It would be the first of many times that he ended up in court for one reason or another. So his next big success was managing a group called the Ronettes. And this is a key moment in his life story because he goes on to marry one of the singers from this group, Veronica Bennett, more commonly referred to as Ronnie Spector. Okay. I've heard that name before. Yeah. So shortly after marrying Ronnie Spector in 1968, Phil becomes a recluse and begins to act even more erratically. Phil would only let Ronnie leave the house if she had a dummy that looked like him in the car with her. That's creepy, right? Super creepy. Little controlling. Yeah. And also, how do you make a dummy look like yourself? Yeah. That seems very custom. (laughs) When he decided that it was time for them to have children. Oh, when he decided. He decided. Oh, wait, it gets better. He told friends and family that Ronnie was pregnant. He made her wear like. What? The pregnancy belly thing. And then he adopted a baby boy. What the heck? Uh Uh-huh. And a few years later, when he wanted more children, he surprised Ronnie with twins. What the heck? A boy and a girl for Christmas. (laughs) In an interview with People Magazine later in life, Ronnie says, we were in the car and all of a sudden we pull up to the mansion and there are these twins running around, these blonde-haired, blue-eyes twins. And I'm saying, what is this? And he says, Merry Christmas. That's what? That's insane. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, this this is just setting the scene for who Phil Spector is. Okay. 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 Now, the twins later claimed that they had been abused by their adopted dad. In an interview with the male in 2003, Dante, the first adopted child, described his relationship with his father as a, quote, thin line between love and hate. So was the public led to believe that these were actually their children if if she wore the belly? I I think the first one, yes, but the twins maybe Got no, okay. because they were old enough that they were running around mm, okay. on the yard. Oh, right. right? Okay. But they weren't sense. babies. Okay. Uh, so Ronnie, their mother, tried to leave Phil for years, Alana. I mean, no, not surprisingly, like mm-hmm. he was trying to be controlling in all sorts of ways. She said that their home was surrounded by barbed wire fences and he would hide her shoes so that she couldn't easily leave. What in the world? After a terrifying argument in 1972, she announced she was going shopping with her mother. Instead, she dashed to L.A. airport and took the first flight to New York. She was quoted as saying, I knew if I didn't leave, I was going to die there. When they finally did divorce in 1974, only six years into their marriage, Ronnie reportedly forfeited all of her future earnings because she said that Spectre threatened her with a hitman. So his home life was erratic, for sure, and his music career sort of followed suit. Multiple performers tell stories of Phil Spector threatening them with a gun in the studio. In one such session with Leonard Cohen, Phil wasn't happy with the takes they had, but Cohen thought they had what they needed and, you know, they could stop for the night, so he started to leave. Phil came in carrying a bottle of booze and a pistol, and he pushed the pistol into Leonard's skin and whispered, Leonard, I love you into his ear in a menacing tone. And Cohen famously replied, I hope you do, Phil, and then proceeded to continue recording. Yikes. Can you imagine? And can you imagine wanting to work with someone so badly because they're so good at what they do Mm -hmm. that you would put up with that shit? Yeah, that's insane. 
And yet, you know, he was supposed to be so good. I mean, like, he is getting these, like, big-name celebrity musicians of that era. Right. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right, Mel. Like, in another such incident, he was in the studio with John Lennon. (laughs) Jeez. And when he arrived, he was high, and he began firing shots into the ceiling. And Lennon was furious and reportedly shouted, Phil, if you're going to kill me, kill me, but don't fuck with my ears. I need them. I kind of love that. Don't you? (laughs) I sort of want to embroider that on a pillow. (laughs) So, you know, in both of those stories, he was obviously abusing alcohol. Um, But fast forward, and after a decade of being mostly sober, Spectre began going out again. And on the night of February 2nd, 2003, he took out an old high school friend, Rami Davis. They went to dinner. And according to Rami, he actually began drinking very heavily. After his driver took her home, Phil returned to the restaurant and picked up a waitress, taking her to Trader Vic's, where they consumed more drinks. Do y'all remember Trader Vic's? No. We had one here in Dallas. I I know about it more from the kind of the era. And wasn't that like the Trader Vic's, um, like the cocktails, like uh, I think of like a Hawaiian drink? Yeah, very Hawaiian. We, um, I took my brother there like the year before we went to Hawaii and we had, you know, they had like served the drinks in a pineapple as big as your head. Fun. Like, yeah. yeah. I don't remember that. Um, it was over by the Hotel Palomar. Oh, in that like okay. downstairs area, there was a Trader Vic's there for a while. Okay. So he goes back to the restaurant. He picks up this waitress. They go to Trader Vic's where they have more drinks. And I've already told you these drinks are as big as your head. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, they bar hop to Dan Tana's and had additional drinks. Wow. Around midnight, the two ended up at the House of Blues, where they met with Lana Clarkson at the door. Now, initially, Lana stopped Phil from coming in. Now, she's the hostess at the door at okay. the House of Blues. But but she didn't know who he was. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the staff recognized him and told her to treat him as if he was Dan Aykroyd. Wow. That's a big deal because if you recall, Dan Aykroyd was also the co-founder of the House of Blues. Um, like in 92, they founded the House of Blues, kind of, the, uh, which became the chain that we know mm-hmm. of now, more kind of like concert venues. But at the time, it was supposed to promote African-American like, blues music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they, they say Dan Aykroyd, like they actually meant like the, you know, the owner here. Right? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine like your boss coming up to you and be like... No, no. Special treatment to this guy right here. Yeah. So Phil's date ordered water and he ordered a drink and became irate that she didn't also order a drink and he ordered her to leave. Mm. So at this point, you know, Lana is sort of feeling bad about not initially recognizing him and is trying to make up for her faux pas. And so she goes over and she's apologizing and asking if, you know, is there anything I can do for you, Mr. Spector? And so he invites her to sit and have a drink with him. Now, she's still on duty, but also she'd been told to treat him like an owner of the establishment. So she really doesn't know what to do. So she goes and asks her manager. She's like, hey, this guy wants me to have a drink with him. Is that okay? And they're like, no, you work here. Like, go back to the mm-hmm. front of the of the house. Um, you need to work the hostess stand. So Phil says, don't worry about it. We can just have that drink later. Mm-hmm. So... The two later leave the House of Blues, and there is footage of Lana talking to Phil, you know, sort of as they're walking to his car. And you can see him in this footage persuading her to come home with him. So finally, she gets into the car and she tells the driver, it's okay. I'm just going to stay for one drink. But then Phil gets mad at her for talking to the driver. What? Yeah. 
insane. So when they arrive back to Phil's house, he tells the driver to stop at the bottom of the stairs so that Lana has to walk up all 88 steps, helping a drunk specter up the stairs as well. Mm-mm. And y'all, that's how Lana Clarkson ended up at Phil Spector's Pyrenees Castle. Now, let's take a step back and talk about Lana for a minute. She is often referred to as a B-list actress whose death provided her with more celebrity than she had while alive. And while her death absolutely made headlines, I sort of begged to differ with this B-list status. In researching this story, I found that Lana Clarkson was a hardworking go-getter who loved to act and took advantage of her height and skill set to make movies that suited her. She's probably best known for her 1985 movie Barbarian Queen, which many refer to as the original Xena Warrior Princess. Her list of credits is vast, ranging from appearances of some sort on some of the most popular shows of her time, like Night Court, Three's Company, Knight Rider, and Wings. And she developed a cult following for her roles in sci-fi movies. Okay, it's time for a moment of truth. Okay. How many of those shows have y'all watched? Knight Rider, Three's Company, uh, Night Court, and Wings. I've watched three of the four, and I was obsessed with Three's Company. Yeah, I mean, I watched all four of them, uh, episodes of it. Funny enough, like we recently, I think we watched a couple episodes of Ring- Wings. Um, we, we oftentimes go dive into shows from the history to see if they hold up. Uh, we watched Family Ties, uh, not to uh, go down another rabbit hole, but we went and watched some Family Ties recently. I think it's the laugh tracks that, that make a lot of these shows not hold up anymore because it just yeah. doesn't seem mm. like the laugh tracks. We don't hear that as much anymore. Yeah, we recently rewatched Wings. It was sort of our like go to bed show. You know, you just need a little bit of TV on. I felt like it held up pretty well. I mean, I I liked a lot of the characters there. Yeah. Yeah. All right, but I digress as sometimes <laughs> I do. Okay, so here we are. Um, I'm I'm telling you a little bit more about Lana Clarkson's history. And in 2001, 15 or so years into her career, she tripped and fell at a charity event and shattered both of her wrists. This accident meant that she couldn't take acting roles and the injuries were so severe that it took her almost nine months to recover. And during her recovery, she began hostessing at the House of Blues. Um, We've already talked about what a big deal that was. You know, House of Blues was very new and it was a great way to sort of meet Hollywood celebs and producers and still be around important people while she was recovering and waiting to be able to work in the industry again. Yeah, well, like you said, she's a hardworking go-getter who found a way to further her career, even while she was in a difficult situation. That's admirable. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as entrepreneurs ourselves, I have to say, I find that quality inspiring. I really appreciate that in a person. So on February 2nd, 2003, Phil Spector of Hall of Rock fame walked into the House of Blues where Lana was hosting. She had recently filmed herself playing a variety of bit parts in a production she called Lana Unleashed. And she was planning to send this demo tape around to producers, directors, and agents in the industry. I love that. Yeah. And from all accounts, Elena, her career was on the upswing after this hiatus. Her agent said that she had just booked a role before her untimely death. Uh, And I think it's important to have this background on Lana Clarkson before we dig further into the story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think when you're in the entertainment industry and someone as legendary as Phil Spector invites you back to his house... It's just hard to say no. Mm -hmm. You know, for all she knew, there could be other people there or her next role could be only hours away. 
So her intention was to go back to Phil's house, which he referred to as the Pyrenees Castle, for just one drink. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this house. It was built in 1925 by Sylvester Dupuy, and the home is a replica of a castle that Mr. Dupuy walked by when he was a child in France, though it's only about a quarter of that castle's size. In true castle style, though, this 10,000-square-foot French chateau property has four turrets, otherwise known as those, you know, round things with pointy tops on a castle, plus beam ceilings, hand-painted stenciling, and crystal chandeliers. The estate sits atop a private small hill with panoramic views of the San Gabriel Valley below. The gated home spans 2.66 acres and includes a driveway with a fountain surrounded by gardens and trees. It also has a whopping 10 bedrooms and 11 bathrooms. The separate four-car garage has a living area above with two bedrooms and two bathrooms, bringing the total count to 12 bedrooms and 13 baths. Dang. Yeah, it's a big house. Maybe one of the most interesting things about the layout of the property itself is that it has mirror image living and dining rooms. So when you enter the foyer, a room to the right and left are the exact same size and layout and both have fireplaces on the far wall. Phil Spector purchased this house at 1700 Grandview Drive in Alhambra in 1998 for $1.1 million. That's a bargain. Yes, it definitely, like for this giant of a gorgeous home on a beautiful hill, I mean, even in 98 standards, you know, 1.1 million mm-hmm. is, is a bargain. But so Alhambra is a town and it is about eight miles east of downtown LA and directly south of Pasadena. And, and honestly, this is not that stereotypical you know, SoCal neighborhood that we've talked about in some of our other stories. This isn't Beverly Hills. This isn't Santa Monica or Hollywood. This is a middle-class neighborhood. And so while, by the way, the crow flies is not that far away from downtown LA, it is definitely far away from it in in terms of some, like, this isn't the Hollywood royalty area. Mm -hmm. And what I read in one of the uh, articles, they were t- describing it as the castle being this like huge property and neighbors would joke that it was the feudal lord surrounded by the serfs. So, you know, it, it's definitely a different um, place. And I, and while I was doing this some research, you know, after Heather had, had uh, written this beautifully, was that... In addition to it having two complete kitchens and a medieval suit of armor, it has a lot of musical memorabilia, like um, John Lennon's favorite guitar. I mean, he really knew the Beatles very well. Um, and he had all sorts of game rooms, et cetera. But what I thought was funny was it has a hair salon in it. And if you can't picture Phil Spector, I advise you to Google him um, because he had this crazy, massive hair, um, huge and big. And and then as he gets older, it doesn't look so good. Well, I'm not sure it ever looked good, but it is stringy. But the idea that he actually had a hair salon in his house, I don't know, just amuses me a little bit. Does it amuse you because his hair looked so bad? Yes. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, this, you're right, Mel, like this whole home is not typical of the area. Um, And Unfortunately, Lana Clarkson takes what happened inside of the Pyrenees Castle with her to her grave. And while many of the facts surrounding the case are unclear, here is what we do know. Phil Spector's driver calls 911 and says, quote, I think my boss killed somebody. 
When he's asked to clarify, he says there's a lady on the floor and his boss has a gun in his hand. Mm. Now, we often talk about how investigations into high-profile suspects are fraught with privilege and accommodations that are not provided to the general public. But in this instance, a smart officer decided to place a tape recorder in the entryway to the house to get everything on tape. Nice. He has a tape of Phil Spector saying, I can tell you what happened. I'm not drunk. What's wrong with you people? Get the F off of me. This is stupid. I'm sorry there is a dead woman here, but I'm sorry this happened. She works at the House of Blues. This was a mistake. The gun went off accidentally. Um, it's just amazing what they have on tape mm-hmm. during this initial investigation. And of course, when the police arrived, they found Lana Clarkson deceased. Her body is sort of sitting or sprawling in a chair in the marble entryway. Her purse is slung over her shoulder like she's about to leave, and a gun is tucked under her ankle on the floor. Hmm. Now, Phil claims that she committed suicide. And in an interview with Esquire in 2003, he said, I don't know where she got the gun from, but she started waving it around. He went on to say she kissed the gun and described her death as an accidental suicide. Now, during the course of the inquiry into Lana's death, investigators discovered that he had a habit of bringing people to his home and locking them inside the house. I mean, we already know this, right? Like, remember, he did that with Ronnie. He wouldn't let her leave. But apparently he had a habit of doing that with other friends as well. Dominic Dunn later reported in Vanity Fair that after Phil paid his $1 million bail on the morning after Lana's death, he then checked into the Hotel Bel Air in a two-bedroom bungalow. Interestingly enough, that's the same place the Menendez brothers went to after their parents' death in 1989. That's creepy. Yeah. And Phil Spector went on a rampage in the media after her death. He was quoted everywhere saying, who did she think she was to come into his house and kill herself? He was very vocal about his innocence, but his reputation for being a gun-toting eccentric with a bad temper was already pretty well known. Now, was this his gun? Like, were they able to say, prove that this was his gun? I think they were. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at trial, the defense brought in a slew of witnesses designed to present Lana as, you know, a girl in despair over the failure of her life and her career. And they also went on to insinuate that she worked as a call girl. Oh, my gosh. Another example of victim blaming. I know. It's awful. Um, And, you know, further hurting, though, Phil's claim that this was a case of accidental suicide. The autopsy showed that Lana's tongue was bruised, indicating that a gun was jammed into her mouth as opposed to just accidentally going off. Now, during the course of the trial, five women took the stand and testified that he had also threatened them with firearms. His driver testified that he heard a loud noise and saw the producer leave the home, pistol in hand, saying, I think I killed somebody. Now, his defense attorneys argued that at the time of Clarkson's death, the tall, blonde actress was depressed over the state of her failing career. She had a troubled personal life and therefore killed herself. He also went on to work his way through a series of well-known defense lawyers over the course of his legal troubles, including O.J. Simpson's attorney, Robert Shapiro, the Menendez's brother's lawyer, Leslie Abramson, and former John Gotti counselor, Bruce Cutler. And while Spectre was awaiting trial, he married his third wife, Rochelle Short, in September 2006. Rochelle was 24 at the time, and the wedding took place at home in the castle's foyer. 
Uh, you mean the marble foyer that Lana died in? Yeah, the exact same one. Heck? Classy. Okay, so back to the trial after this marriage. Uh, the first trial deadlocked in 2007, 10 to 2 in favor of conviction, and the judge declared a mistrial. However, a retrial began in October 2008, and in April 2009, Spectre was convicted of second-degree murder. He was sentenced to 19 years to life in prison in May 2009. Spectre was 69 years old at the time of sentencing, and he died in prison of COVID on January 16, 2021. That's also sad. I mean, I think time and time again, I think about these really brilliant people who live these very troubled lives um and the people they touch you know for good or for bad as a result of how troubled they are it can be heartbreaking right yeah and unfortunately we've seen over and over again that they a lot of times they get away with it so i mean sounds like it took a while but um he was finally convicted yeah. And I mean, I think fortunately or unfortunately, you know, he had had these other experiences with women where he had threatened them with guns. And then again, you know, John Lennon and Leonard Cohen. I mean, he just was known to be flashing guns around. And if you're going to do that at some point, oh, I mean, I think it was probably a horrible accident. You know, he was just used to using the gun to get what he wanted. I don't want you to leave, so I'm going to hold this gun and make you mouth, stay though, and drink with me. Yeah, I mean. That's super aggressive. Yeah, that, no, that's that's not, like from one thing. Oh, I know that. Yeah, yeah for sure. There's one thing like waving it around, you know, trying to get what you want, but it sounds like he jammed it down her throat. And Yeah, and remember he like pressed it up against Leonard Cohen's, yeah. you know, neck too. Right, yep. Oh my gosh. So, um... Anyway, I I think the other takeaway for me in this story was I was really annoyed by every article I read talking about how Lana Clarkson was this B-list actress. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't know, I was so inspired by her. I thought she had this like amazing work ethic. So I'm sad she didn't get a chance to have that like reboot of her career that she was planning. For sure. I mean, Our, yeah. And the fact that she was a beautiful little you know, intelligent women, you know, it, it obviously just goes once again. People like to, you know, like you mentioned, victim blaming that, or like they're trying to show the victim in such a light. Oh, that, you know, she, it, it, she, there's something negative, And yet he is this eccentric genius. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We should watch one of her movies. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I like it. All right. Well, do y'all want to know what happened to the house? Yes, please. Okay. So the house was listed by Tim Durkovic of Douglas Elliman, very well-respected real estate brokerage. And Tim shares that despite the property's history, the home's one-of-a-kind design attracted a buyer who wanted to preserve the castle, going on to say, there's nothing else like it. It truly is a castle. Now, the 10,590-square-foot castle sold in 2021 for $3.3 million dollars. The home had been on and off the market since 2019, where the original list price was $5.5 million. The home was purchased by Cordelia Cooler, a former set decorator who decided to renovate the 1924 estate and rent it out as a filming location, event space, and vacation rental or Airbnb. She says that when the murder happened, it had old red carpeting, but Spectre's wife said she couldn't get the bloodstains out, so she just what ripped it out. Hell? Oh my gosh. Also... Who marries a man who's on trial for murder? Right. Sorry, that's a random like side tangent. Yeah. But that really bothers me. <laughs> well, yeah, for sure. 
Okay, so uh, Cordelia goes on to say that most of the younger generation has no idea who Spectre was, nor has she advertised the house's history. On the contrary, one of the very first things she did was paint over the sign in front welcoming visitors to, quote, Phil Spectre's Pyrenees Castle. She renamed it Rensmore, which I like a lot better. Mm-hmm. And instead, she says she's, you know, tried to be respectful, especially in the foyer where the murder took place. But she says she does still get some looky-loose. So if you would like to visit this space, it is available for rent. You can check it out. We'll uh, post the link on all of our socials. She's done a beautiful job Mm -hmm. updating it. I would say it would be a great place to have a wedding or, you know, any sort of other fabulous event in Alhambra. Nice. All right. So, ladies, what do you think? Would you live there? Would you list it? I think I would definitely list it. And I think you're going to be surprised that I think I would live there. Really? Yes. You always surprise I know. me. Yeah. I don't feel all like heebie-jeebie on this one. Like, I feel Is like it because maybe it's the size. Maybe it's the size. Mm. <laughs> it only happened in this small space right. in the yeah. foyer. This little area. Yeah. I could redo the foyer. I can jump yeah. through the foyer real yeah. quickly. Come in through the back garage. Never yeah, go through not? the foyer. Yeah. What about you, Mel? Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think I would actually probably use it for what she's using it for. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it it's it, it, way too big for you know, my taste for a family type of home. But for what it is, I think it sounds good. And the pictures looked lovely. Yeah, I think like a castle is not my style. I would much rather do some, I, I like a lot of different style of houses. Castle's not it. Um, but would I live there because of the crime that occurred? Yeah, probably yeah. so. Yeah, I, and I think you're right. There's something about the amount of space that it seems to like yeah. dissipate the crime. Right, huh. yeah. Um, and I would definitely list it. I mean, that's, yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of people go through, you know, come and go through their back door anyway. I mean, they can just avoid the foyer. Okay. Oh, well, that, that was a good one. That was a really good one. Yeah. Um, okay, so so I think we've decided that we should always follow Mel's advice and mm-hmm. do the stories that she tells us to do. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we really, we put this one off for almost a year. Mm-hmm. So thanks, Mel, for bringing this one to us. Good one. Um, again, if you have other ideas for us, let us know. We are always taking ideas at crimeestatepodcast at gmail.com. And follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. Do all the things. Mm-hmm. And share with your friends. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. We'll see you all next week. Yeah. Bye. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening and being a part of our Crime Estate family. If you're curious about today's featured Crime Estate, You can find additional photos and details from today's episode online at crimeestate.com or on Facebook and Instagram by following at Crime Estate Podcast. Have a crime estate we should cover? Let us know. Shoot us an email at crimeestatepodcast at gmail.com. Until next week.